Welcome to another episode, uh, in fact episode 60 from Off The Air Shelf. I have a couple of special guests on this episode who will be talking about what motivated them and what's involved in setting up the Bow Hunter Challenge here in the UK. So I would like to say a huge thanks to them for sparing the time to record this with me. I'd also like to share a small achievement for me rather from this podcast as I've passed over 5,000 plays. So just wanted to say thank you to all review fact for listening. And so let's get on with this episode. Thanks very much, guys, and welcome everybody to this very special podcast because we've got a couple of guests on today. And uh, without further ado, this is, as I said, this is off the Aeroshelf podcast. I'm going to let my two guests introduce themselves. Hi, uh, I'm Phil Mark. I'm a professional jeweler by trade and a trade archer. Um, um, uh, my shooting background, uh, I started shooting in the late 90s. Um, and in those days, it was always, always English long bows, and we didn't shoot anything else. We're very hardcore, company of 60. That's what we did. Um, and then after I graduated from art college, um, weekends were busy trying to earn a crust, so it all kind of fell off and disappeared. Um, and I came back to it in I don't know, 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Um, uh, shot all trad bows, anything bendy sticks, um, primitive ash bows that I've made myself um the usual uh, recurves and, and flat bows um and currently shooting um a shrew super shrew 2 60 inch long bow um i'm ridiculous shape for archery i'm six foot six i've got gibbous arms so i have a draw length of a good 32 inches um and i'm shooting some 34 inch partisan arrows out of it at the moment so having some fun I have a similar problem of some five eight, but I've got uh, <laughs> a longer drawing because of stupid arms. So uh, yeah, and your compadre there. Uh, so hi, Rob Ben Edwards here. Um, so I've been an archer probably for seventeen, eighteen years, something like that. Started um, over on uh, target archery for the compounds, um, and then realised that actually missing a nine or a ten. Um, was too much of a, a headache for me, so um, I gave up for a while. Um, stumbled over a, a friend of yours and mine on, on the videos, so Jim Kent, Rizzy Jim. Um, I started to watch his videos quite a lot and decided I wanted to shoot trad archery. And someone said, Go and talk to that guy down in the jewelers, um, <laughs> Phil. He, he has an archery club out near Battle, um, so I think I've I've been a trad archer probably five, six years now. Um, yeah, so um, all good. And, and so I shoot a striker bow, as you might guess, uh, being a, a, a gym fanboy. Um, and currently um, shooting some victory vape arrows, which allows my 30 pound bow to shoot nice and fast. So cool. Cool. Yeah, Jim's been on this podcast. I think he was on episode 50 as my special guest. So, the, so I've known Jim for quite a few years. You've explained your background, but you guys are really enthusiastic about a certain type of challenge, which I think some of the European listeners will know, but uh, the American guys probably won't know about. So do you want to talk about this, the and I don't want to get it wrong. It is the bow hunter challenge. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. But this came originally from European backgrounds, didn't it, Phil? Uh, it did. I mean, a lot of people have shot that kind of style, but um, essentially it comes from from Henry Bodnick's uh, kill tournaments that they used to be called. Uh, changed the name uh, a couple of years ago to bow hunter challenge because people were getting upset about the term kill. But it's still the same uh, premise and the same concept of, of, of uh, shoot is an ethical hunting style shoot um, where the kills are rewarded and the wounds are punished um, and that's the that's the that's where it came from and in 20 around 2018 um, uh, I was 49 uh, my birthday obviously the next year and um, I said to a friend of mine uh, my 50th birthday I want to go and shoot one of Henry's kill tournaments 
Um, I'd seen videos of it and seen videos of the gathering with Jim again, of course, and Henry, all having fun in, in Europe and Germany. And I uh, thought I just, I just, it looked so much more exciting than, than what we were offered here. Um, and I thought this is a great opportunity. I'm going to grab it, I'm going to go for it, and this is what's going to happen. So we did, we did. We went out there, we drove all the way down to, to southern Germany to the, to the Black Forest, beautiful, beautiful place. And um, we had an amazing time. We met so many lovely people um, and, and just had a real, real blast. And it, it, it struck me, I mean, it's quite, it's about 11 hour drive back. And we were driving back, chatting and thinking, yeah, I want other people to experience this. We've had such an amazing adventure. And uh, I wanted to bring that energy back uh, somehow. Um, and uh, when we uh, later in that year, I, I took Nikki. Um, you shot with Nikki actually, Rob, on the 2018 uh, Champs 3Ds on the Sunday. So, so Nikki came down to Switzerland uh, to the Kill Tournament there. And we started kind of working on this concept of, of trying to get Henry over to the UK uh, to, to do this, that we would host uh, and, and bring this to more people. We were quite a small club then, though. Oh, we were. I think there was eight eight of us regularly shooting and yeah. ten or twelve members. So when Phil came back from Europe, enthusing about this new tournament that was going to bring 150 archers, a significant number from Europe, and there were six of us or something, it was it was sort quite daunting. Wasn't it? Daunting task. I remember that meeting, and uh, yeah, there was some kind of doubtful faces. I think we should say. And I said to everyone, I said, look, either I'm doing this with Semlac and we, we do this as it, or I'll do it on my own. But whatever happens, it's going to go ahead. I've got to do this. I've got to drive this. Um, and and uh, they said, oh, yeah, OK, OK, we'll do that. They didn't have a clue, really, I don't think, did you? You right. know, the other guys have a clue what was going to be involved and how big it was going to be and the effect the ripple effect from it yeah and i think you know none of us had shot it other than you and nikki mm. um and it is a different event it takes a bit of getting your head around but it is enthusing and like a, a like a snowball rolling down the hill um but i think you know yeah to see how it's taken off as more people from the uk have either gone to europe or they've come and shot with us i mean it is like a ground swell now really of um of the rekindling of traditional archery as it probably was 40 years ago yeah i remember you know when i was first shooting and you would have to do these these slightly you'd have to look for the shots you'd have to find it find the window find what the course layer was intending you to to view uh, and, and to physically challenge you in that way and as i said i just feel it a lot of, of, of what we're doing now has, has lost its way and it's it's open lanes, things are too far away, and almost to shoot a bunny rabbit at 40 yards. Well, some people might do, then that's fine. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. But not for me. For me, this was a, the style that that really it just it just gets into you. you know, once you've done it and you've experienced it, and you sort of go, find me, this is great, I want more. I just want more of it and this is it's very infectious i think and our club pretty much just shoots so our club said that phil bowman um down near battle and we pretty much just shoot this style so phil is our main course layer um, he has a number of guys that um uh, he's bringing along into that style i mean we're pleased to say we're probably 45 48 mm -hmm. people there um but this is all we shoot so we shoot close distance we shoot obviously within the rules of the uh, association. Uh, but, you know, so most of us are used to kneeling or shooting rabbits at our feet or, um, you know, obviously playing animals um, mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. So for us, this is nothing new. Um, I think for a lot of guys, it's 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 a lot closer up, isn't it? It's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a change from, from the kind of standard. And we're very lucky down near Battle because we've, we've got a sort of sister club as well, 1066. Uh, run by uh, Roger Massey and, and Doug Moore with the, the course lane. And uh, that's a nice uh, balance because that's much more standard NFAS, if you like, if there is a kind of sort of big, big game type round, uh, a little bit more open, a little bit more stretched in comparison to what we're doing. 
Um, and that's, I think it's a really, really nice balance and makes us very strong in this part of, of, of Southeast England, definitely. So just picking up a couple of things you said there, um, NFAS, for those of you who don't know, is the National Field Archery Society over here in the UK. And you've been talking about the style and how much, how enjoyable is it? And about distances being different. So on an NFAS shoot, you might shoot anything from five to 70 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what club you go to, there will be a there will be a variety of different styles. It might be a case of you'll have open open shooting lanes, a bit like the English field archery has got, or others where you will have terrain in the way or vegetation. How how would you explain your style? You made a phrase earlier about it being a a hunting style. Is that Partly down to the framing of the shots then or the distances that are being shot so people can get an idea? Um, it's definitely down to the distances. Um, and as you say, the framing of the shot, the course laying is, is really important to it. The concept really is, is what it's about. So nothing over 28, 30 yards maximum. That's your maximum hunting range. Most of them will be less than that because this is, is concentrating on a kill shot. It's, you're not just hoping to hit the whole animal. You're not just you know, seeing something, a big gray blob or a brown blob, and just going for that. You are absolutely intently focused on the smallest part that you can focus on, on just that kill area. And that's the most important thing. And it will increase your accuracy afterwards, which is an interesting kind of, uh, if you're so focused on that kill shot, the ethical shot um, is what we were looking at. But the course laying is, um, in, in terms of what you're trying to achieve, is that everything should be a hunting type scenario. So it, whether it's a stalking or it's a baited or, or an opportunistic shot, it is a hunting shot. And if it's an opportunistic shot, these creatures could just pop up or come into your view and you might not be in your most perfect, comfortable position. You may not be standing, you may be kneeling, you may be crawling through the undergrowth. Um, and Henry, you know, he, he, he always goes on about this. He says, you know, Mother Nature doesn't care if there's a branch in the way. You've just got to deal with that, okay? And whatever equipment you've taken with you, you sometimes hear the longbow guys go, oh, I've got a 74-inch longbow. How am I going to get in there? Well, you chose to take it. This is your challenge. This is your issue to deal with and to overcome and to, to, to work with. So obviously an advantage to a short bow is it's not going to get caught up with everything else. Advantage to carbon arrows is that they're faster. So there's three different classes that you can uh, allocate into uh, to compete with. And it's, uh, it's, it's the limits of, of accuracy really is, is pushing it all, all the time. So sometimes there will be a, a courted and a heavily courted animal. Now, of course, that's not a hunting scenario but it is challenging you uh, to, to get as accurate as you possibly can. And that is the core to the whole thing, extreme accuracy. I mean, to the extent that you can be a very, very good archer in a, in a traditional UK um, society, you know, the sort of guy that gets um, a first arrow wound all the way round, which would give you a very high score. Um, you're going to get a very low score um in the bow hunter style of archery because each of those wounds will give you minus points it's punishing it can be really funny you're just outside that kill it's very punishing yeah but that's the difference as well isn't it because you get it's a positive score if you get a kill shot it's a negative if you get a get a wound isn't yeah. it and you're yeah. shooting two arrows if i remember correctly on a two-day shoot yeah the, on the saturday is a two-arrow round from the same peg so it's testing not only accuracy but consistency. Anyone can hit once, but you've got to hit twice, and that's that's the. Not anyone. I I would love to be able to hit once. <laughs> <laughs> I've never us, managed yeah, to. Do wild as that says, yeah. Some of us, some some people can. But it's so it's yeah testing accuracy and consistency, which is uh, is really good. And then on the Sunday, it's a one hour round. The pegs or the targets or both will have moved, so you've got different shots um they, they changed on the saturday uh, late afternoon evening 
Um, and the one arrow around is uh, is always a pressured shot because you haven't got that second arrow to to, to make up for it, um, or you know, you're not using the first one as a as a, a sighter or whatever you want to call it. So that Sunday is is really intense, but to make it more intense on, on you know, and Henry's running the competition is the top five archers from each group and gender on Saturday will then go into a super group on the Sunday and compete directly against each other. So it's arrow for arrow. So the pressure, the mental pressure is, is ramped up. So you've not only got the shooting, but you've got that mental pressure and stress of those other guys around you hitting those kills and hammering those with that single arrow. And that's where you've got to compete against. Uh, so it, it, it builds and builds and builds. It's an extraordinary thing. So it's not just the physical aspects you're talking about then of getting around. I don't know. Sorry, I wasn't sure how many targets because all three Ds I know, but I wasn't sure how many targets you actually have out on the course. Uh, when you generally it'd be thirty-four, something like that. Right. So, yeah, you, you're shooting over sixty arrows that you are, and these are all unmarked distances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, without the use of any range finding abilities, I, I wasn't sure if you were allowed. You can use binoculars. Binoculars are free use. Yep. <laughs> Which I think is a, is a fantastic. But, but people might be laughing as to well, wondering what the laughter is. It's because the fact that I was waving happily because I, I, I'm a trad archer and I like to be able to use binoculars to see what I'm roughly aiming at. I use them for coaching a great deal as well. But it, it's um, for me, it's an absolute no brainer. You've got to see what you're looking at if you're standing in bright sunshine and you're looking at a, a black bear or a black wolf in really heavy shade it just becomes a silhouette at best so you need to identify the smallest mark that you possibly can just a tiny bit of texture or something like that to give you a bead to concentrate and focus on and i've always always said it's about intention and attention you have to give it your fullest attention because your intention is such in a finite small area that you're aiming at. Whether you hit it or not is irrelevant. But if you hit what you're looking at and it's not in the kill, what a wasted arrow that is. Absolutely wasted. And we had an example of that um, last year. Uh, someone who came uh, to the practice round the year before, and, uh, and uh, I was standing there watching them, and it was a black pig that was standing in sun, shooting into, into, into darkness into a shade by a little stream and he put two arrows in there and I said oh that's a shame they're just a little bit to the left he said oh no the head's to the right I said no the head's to the left you've gone too far the other way you're you're in this yeah in its hind quarters almost and all you needed to do was have a quick look with binoculars a couple of seconds and he would have known the head was on which side and he would have shot it and he would have scored yeah a lovely double tap lovely double kill but it is interesting how the binoculars regulate themselves. So, you know, I think a lot of people in the UK, their concern about binoculars comes from target field or target archery with compounders sighting and sighting and sighting and clicking their sights. Actually, at the, at the bow hunter challenge, um, it pretty much self-regulates. A quick look through the scope uh, or through the binoculars rather, um, identify where the target is and get on with it. So. It's very interesting that as a style, it self-regulates quite well as well. Um, so, you know, the the rules are relatively simple. Um, you know, there are only three classes. Um, and, um, you know, the, the groups as themselves keep each other honest, pretty much. Yeah, I think that with the binoculars, it feels almost like, it, as you say, self-regulating. It's, it's almost just uh, an unspoken etiquette to it. Of, of, you know, you have a quick look two, three seconds, maybe four, if it's a tricky one to look at, job done, that's it, crack on. And uh, it, there's no issues, there's no delays, it's not um, It's not a problem. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed to go off target a little bit here as we're on off subject, that the NFAS are, are now looking at more uh, votings on binoculars in different classes. And I can't understand whether, the main committee hasn't just gone, hey, look, guys, 
I'm not going to have this dragging on for the next six years where everyone votes on each individual class just because they want binoculars and it will just go on and on and on. Let's just do a blanket. If you want them, use them. If you don't, don't. Job done. That's it. But that's a bit off topic. So. It, it is, <laughs> and it is a topic I would love to discuss with you further <laughs> because many, many years ago, I actually put a proposal into NFAST about having binoculars for everybody. And there were people you you thought I'd like sacrifice their first child <laughs> um but yes I and I think again where Enfas is concerned I I like to know what I'm shooting at I like to know where the scoring zones are and where paper faces are concerned there are hundreds out there and they don't always look the same or there's some that can be very similar and also where 3ds you've just said it you know you can have a quartered animal you can have it facing a, a different way to what you expect and i'd just like to be able to know where i should be aiming and what's interesting with what you're saying is obviously you know you've got maximum maybe 30 yards from what you're saying but that doesn't mean you're going to have a, a a deer or an elk at 30 yards that could be anything then really couldn't it, it could be any being within reason you could have a bear at 30 yards poking its head around a tree or a deer coming out from behind the tree absolutely just because there's a big kill it might be a big animal of a big kill it might be near you but half of that kill might be obscured by a, a tree trunk or, or whatever it might be so you've only got half of a kill to aim at um and and I mean, you know, with the binoculars you know, most of the time as you know you can see the rings anyway so you're not going to be using them on every target at all, but um, yeah, it's it's um, it's just sense. It's just common sense. Just yeah. when you have your binoculars episode, we'll we'll come back and talk again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that would be a an interesting one to do, an interesting one. So, bearing that in mind, time spent on mapping your course out because you're going to be running for two days. It must be a logistical nightmare and quite a headache to sort of like plan your course, plan your, your shots, because unlike NFAST, you don't have like a peg where you've got to plant your foot next to a peg, have you? You can be, you've got a shooting peg, but you don't literally have to have your foot right against it. Wow. Uh, it doesn't touch you, or some part of your body has to be touching, but yeah, but you can be 360 on that peg. So unlike the NFAS, where the peg, you have to be behind the peg, where you've got effectively a, a semicircle behind it, you can have 360. And there, there are occasions where um, you will be as far forward as you can get because you, you're leaning over a, a steep drop and you need to get as much clearance as you can. Or you may be trying to get behind it to get as low as you can to shoot underneath a, a fallen log or something like that and obviously left and rights to, to to get around obstacles and things like that so that the 360 um offers options that's what it's about and options for for the archer to feel comfortable in their shot and i think if you're comfortable in your shot you're going to be confident you're going to be safe um if you know, you're not going to be off balance because you wouldn't shoot like that and it, it, it's just a a sensible way of, of uh, dealing with it, but it opens up possibilities for that shot for you as an individual. Now I'm six foot six. You might shoot a, a certain target completely differently to me. I might be going over something. You might be going underneath it, and that is your choice. And it's all about that individual. Uh, when you get to the to the peg, okay, so five people in, in your group have all shot it in a particular way, but you stand there and go, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's not for me. I'm going to do it this way because that's what suits my physicality. And you know, you're not just going up to a peg, putting your left foot in, against it and standing with your feet you know, 18 inches apart. And, and that's it. You, each time you get to a target stand, you've got to go, OK, what am I looking at here? Where's my, my window? Where's my comfort zone? What am I going to, you know, how am I going to achieve my best? from this target i i noted down a phrase when you started talking about this and it was the phrase I've, i noted down was adapt to the shot and it's very much a case of the archer having to 
show a degree of adaptation of their not necessarily their, their style but their stance but uh, but how they're going to shoot that shot and as you, you said before you know under ether under enfast you've got a fairly standard shooting stance that people will follow and if you put a shot in which i have done in the past that makes them have uneven footings or maybe their lead foot's higher than their back foot you'd be surprised at how many people complain but it is that aspect of uh, of adapting by the sound of it that's the thing that keeps your head in the game and must be yeah, is I'm, probably I'm, the challenge and appeal sorry i'm a left-handed not five not six foot six archer and um, certainly not the most physical of people you could meet um so you know i, I struggle when our course layer is six foot six and right-handed um but um it does you know it does lead to i can now shoot wrong foot forward across my back effectively uh, i'm not as clever as the thumb shooters but you know so that you're you weren't going to see this but you know so you're leaning the other way to almost negate the left-handedness or it allows me to step right out so Sometimes actually you can, can neutralize the shot because the tree or the window actually as a as a left hander with a bit more flexibility on the peg, sometimes you can step out and around. So there are advantages um to a different way of of uh, of pegging. Uh, I think you know the classic example there is that you're looking at your your overshoots and um your safety around the shot based on how that peg can be addressed rather than you know your front foot's behind the peg because that's how you've done it you know so you take into consideration the, the difference of pegging um in terms of um, coming back to what you were saying rob about um, the logistics and timings of, of laying a course um when henry comes over when we've done the bow hunter challenge here um I think actually his, his only reservation was that he hadn't seen the land, he hadn't seen the ground that we had. He said photographs, but of course it's nothing. You need to be able to walk it and, and understand uh, the physicality, of the, of the layout, of the, the, the trees, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and that that was really so. Henry came over on the on the Wednesday before, and um, we. I've been over there many, many times. It's a, a 350 acre private estate, basically, and it's a huge, huge valley. Lakes down the bottom, streams, gullies, rivers, little ponds, all sorts of things. Goes from deciduous to coniferous to uh, heather, uh, sort of kind of almost like moorland almost. Um, and it's, it's stunning. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a little oasis. It's, it's gorgeous. And I've spent hours and hours and hours days over there walking it, trying to cherry pick what I think Henry would like, sort of thing. So um, we, we we walk the land, and I'm just looking and just saying, look, we can go here, I've got up here, this is a nice feature. You know, you might want to think about this. And I can see, I can see Henry already picking shots and thinking, this is a good place for a shot. I like this scenario, I like this. Ponds, I like this ravine, I like this, and I can see it sort of ticking in his head, which is absolutely great. And uh, and then the course, the whole course is laid uh, a long day on Thursday, uh, and then Friday morning to sort of late lunch, it's done. That's it. The whole course is out, and then it's tested. Uh, Henry will test it. We'll go around and test it and double check it on the uh, Friday afternoon. So it's it's quite intense. I was going to say that is a huge amount of time because I remember years back sitting the one of the 3D courses at Osmastons and we were up there for an in, entire week camping, but we were having to cut in tracks, we were having to cut the, the 3Ds out and do everything like that. So to do all that in a couple of da a couple of days is absolutely amazing. It is you know. Yeah. And how many archers would you get then? How many archers? Uh, your, uh, your last one did you get? You got over a hundred, didn't you? One hundred and fifty. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Yeah, it was about one hundred and fifty. Yeah. yeah. And this year, you're hoping for the same numbers, or are you going to? Yeah, we're we're capped at one hundred and fifty by the landowners. Um, I've already got probably close to that in pre-registrations yeah. um and um what are we seven months away yeah um so um it is 
Yeah, I mean the the running of the shoot side, so the work that the course team do, the work that the catering guys do, you know, the admin side is is immense for a club. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think about the 3D champs, which you referenced a few times, there's a team that does that. Um and we have a team of very good people and from our club and spouses and stuff. Um, but it is Herculean. It's like running a mini mm. festival because mm -hmm. we have camping on site, so we have to have toilets because there's no facilities there, and you know, just getting people to be able to sort of feed, water, shower. It's like it's like Glastonbury on a very small scale in Sussex. <laughs> Maybe with slightly more demanding audience as well, because uh... yeah, yeah, they but... don't tend to want to just squad around in the mud covered in glitter. But it is quite, as you said, you've got all that woodland and, and, and different terrain, but you're searching for the the ideal shot to make use of that terrain. And again, we've talked about nationals, we've talked about 3D tournaments and stuff like that under NFAS. Quite often you'd say, oh, they've you've got that open moorland, so let's put a 70, 80 yard shot in here. But that's not what you're looking for at all. You're looking for that that very bespoke style of shot, that one where you're sort of, as you said, you alluded to earlier about the stalking, you know, it could be a stalking shot where you're walking along the path and you walk on to the shot. So it's almost, that takes a lot of effort, a lot of planning. So um, respect to you on that. <laughs> it's an exhausting time. Um, before, uh... Henry came over, I had a concept of a, of a couple of shots that I, I knew were going to take a long time to set up. And uh, I, I was in uh, Germany at the uh, Shrubo meets uh, in, in late May, and I managed to sort of pin Henry down to have a chat about it. And I said, look, I want to set these up. They're going to take a bit of time. If you don't like them, it doesn't matter. We can take them out or just go a different route. It's not a problem. But I'd really like to try and put these in. And he said, yeah, what do you want, Phil? You know, what, what sort of thing are you thinking of? And uh, so I told him. And he said, yeah, go for it. Yeah, he said, if, if I don't think they're suitable, it's fine. Yeah. And I'm very happy with that. That was fine. So the weekend before, well, I had a bit of prep to do, um, we put in um, a flying goose. So it's an overhead shot. Um, and having 350 acres, the overshoot, of course, you've got hundreds and hundreds of yards. It's not a problem, not a problem at all. Um, so I'm very a, envious of that, uh, having that amount of space. It's a, yes, beautiful, isn't it? It's, a, it's just wonderful. Um, but it's a shot that a lot of the guys would never, ever have done because you could never do that at a club or a comp because, I mean, the overshoot for a compound, I don't even want to think about. But obviously, there's no compounds here. We're all bendy sticks. So there's a limit to the distance that you need for a clear overshoot. And again, having that space, no problem at all. So an overhead. Uh, 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 flying goose, which was uh, it was probably uh, it was probably only about a 15, 16 yard shot, maybe 17 yards, but quite a steep angle up, not not obviously above your head, um, but above 45 degrees, I would say. Um, and that's that's a really beautiful, unique experience for for the guys coming over, and also uh, something which I'd experienced out in Germany and, and Switzerland um, is a fish underwater. So we had a carp target that was completely submerged, and it was on a like a boom that you could bring in and out. Um, and trying to work out the diffraction of the light on a carp that's just slightly submerged underwater really, really, really got to some people. And uh, it was really, yes, it's, again, something that I think only six people who were there have ever done it before. And me and Nikki were, were too, and we weren't shooting, of course. So it was it was a beautiful thing to to push people in yeah. into so that it's it's something they've never done uh, out of their comfort zone um, and yeah brief glorious thing to do really good. Charnwood um, archers up in the Midlands they've they've folded now sadly, but they had a um, a series of old quarry area, and they had a huge pool in the middle which they had built a custom crocodile 
that was about 12 and a half foot um 13 foot or so which they would put out in roughly the middle of this pond nice. and you would shoot it and they'd uh, I'd shot there so many times and you'd shoot it because of the way the quarry was you could either be sort of like 12 feet up and then shooting out onto it or you could be at the pond level trying to work out how far it is and then you're you're not so much coming down at it from above you're sort of like working out and I always, I always remember that being a complete. You're saying about unique shots, completely unique shot. And they used to have one of the junior members in the canoe going to collect the arrows. <laughs> and being a wooden arrow chucker, I was happy. You know, if I hit it, fantastic. <laughs> if I didn't, oh, it's not a problem. My arrow's floating. But you'd see all the um, guys with carbon arrows or um, aluminium arrows, and their arrows would bob up and down and gradually get lower and lower as more water got into them and, yeah. and skinny carbons haven't got enough air in them <laughs> they well, so there would be this race of the young canoeists kind of paddling out like mad <laughs> to try and get the arrows and then pull them all in but again it's, it's one of those kind of unique situations that is just makes in some ways yeah that's right so do you think this will expand to other clubs then do you think you're the forerunners for this because i oh i yeah definitely and it already is filtering out definitely um uh there's various guys um uh, who have come to us and, and, and experienced this that have gone back to their clubs and they're either course layers um, uh, and they're and they're tweaking what they're doing there uh, sometimes within uh nfes rules so behind the peg and, uh, classes again um, but some of them are doing it on an independent with their own insurance so they can do the full 360 uh, on the peg and do it properly so that's and that's extraordinary and it's as, as Ben said yeah it's, it's, it's kind of snowballing it's building and building and building um, and it's a beautiful thing to see because uh, you know I, I when I went out to Germany I loved it but that doesn't mean everyone else is going to love it um, but it's certainly, um, yeah, certainly building and becoming uh, quite a thing, quite a thing. So it could almost be um, a different style of shooting like the, you know, we commented earlier about the NFAS big games, which is the kind of generic one that all NFAS clubs tend to run. If you've got your own insurance or a way of doing a version of it, it's the sort of thing that, changes people's perspective and opens up dif a different style of shooting yeah definitely definitely uh, the big as you say the big game style um that's been around for a very very long time and, and it would be nice to give people options and that's what it's about you go hey i feel like shooting big game i'll find someone that's doing big game or a bow hunter challenge comes up you go oh what's that about you know they can find out what it what it entails and go yeah that sounds like fun or if they've shot it before, they might go, yep, that's what I want to do uh, you know, for, for this half of the year or whatever it might be. Um, I think options are really, really good um, and choices. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. So you've got three classes, haven't you? Because there's no compounds and no crossbows. No. And that's where it's really simple. So there's three classes. Um, under 18 is, is gender uh, neutral so boys and girls shoot together um so you get men and women over 18 uh 12 to 18 is, is is mixed gender and then under 11 is mixed gender so you know when you're setting up the shoot you've only got to worry about i think that's 12 combinations or something like that um and so and, and for, for the bow styles it just negates a lot of the sort of pseudo differences if, if you know what i mean so that you're either primitive on the longbow with a wooden arrow, mm -hmm. um, or you, yeah, or you're a wooden bow with nothing added to it, uh, off the shelf with wooden arrows. Um, or if you go into class three, which is more open, you're still only allowed a 12 inch stabilizer, you know, it's still, um, you can have a rest, can't you? Um, and it's carbon arrows, but then in that group, you know, so I would normally shoot class three, but I'm shooting you know wooden bow with carbon arrows off the rest so it's pretty much trap bow hunter if you're in fas but there's also guys in that class that have got you know a rest with a short stabilizer so 
it just and it does tend to even out um you know the with the nuances for for perhaps Mediterranean versus split premium which is always going to be there and and obviously the evolving um thumb release guys that are, are really driving forward and quite keen on this style as well it just sort of flattens out the levels so a you're not giving out medals for 15 days uh but equally you know um people don't tend to notice the difference because it is wooden versus carbon in two of the classes or primitive and longbows yeah and english longbow rather than yeah. european and american longbow which is obviously normally in class two or three mm -hmm. so just pick you up on something then so if i came down with my i've got andy saws blackbrook flatbow um, but it's got carbon inlays would that be a class type two because it's a wooden bow but with carbon in the limbs or is that a type three no, well, well, if, if wooden arrows you'd be class two yeah yeah, yeah. Wooden arrows class two with carbon arrows class three simple as that nice so thing. it's a lot easier to manage than the whole yeah we won't go into get the, the, the <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> We'll put it this way, Rob. Yes. We're, we're not measuring sensor cuts to determine whether you're a flat bow or, or something else, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, from, from, from my perspective, as the guy that takes the orders and sits there checking people in, it, it makes the whole thing a lot easier. So, um, you know, I'm slightly people... jealous of that, I have to say. I'm slightly jealous of that. Yeah. Uh, well, the can do it, though, right? So, even if you're running a, a well maybe not as an open but if you were running an invitational end pass shoot you can actually group the bows as you like it, it does allow that in the rules it's just that people on the whole tend to like the distinctions mm. i think the the, the power of fast is the flexibility but in some ways i think it's sort of the spectrum of the the different bow classes and everything like that and when you look at some of the scores that are now coming in it's interesting your comment about how things even out well you know a good flat bow archer will pull in the same scores as a good ht archer and you know i've i've matched the bare bow guys before now showing flat bow so you know and people say oh well you know trad bow hunter you haven't got uh, arrests and you haven't got the plungers and it's like well actually if your arrows are spined you're a good shot it doesn't you know that that overcomes it yeah no absolutely and i think a lot of it comes down to the archer so you know if, if you're if you're roger massey or jed cullen or any of those guys that scored high oh, last year <laughs> uh a bit of bandwidth with some string and, and, a, and a, <laughs> a broom handle and you're gonna score well right so um I think it aims to confuse archers as much as it does simplify. So, so what do you think is your your biggest challenge that you're facing with this? Then, this. Uh, I think because it's not our club ground, um, that's uh, logistically the effort put in is exhausting. Um, I spend a week on site, and on the Monday, uh, the clearing up day, uh, I did a sixteen hour day at the end of a really hard week and then I'm back to work the next day so it's uh, physically it, it's very demanding very demanding um mentally well for me uh, and obviously the, the, that's with a lot of help but it's not just Senlac members who are helping either you know uh, some of the guys um, from, from uh, Magic Dragon Club down the road they, they camped over and, and helped out on the, on the Monday morning before packing up and going um, and it, that kind of it, it's um it's like a family it's more than just a club putting on a shoot shoot's done and everyone goes home there's so much more to this it's, it's a whole event it's a whole weekend it builds and builds and builds and there's so much passion and excitement uh, and love for it basically and it's it's such a gorgeous thing to be part of and to witness um and I get very tired and emotional but then uh, laugh at this but I, I do get very I mean it was just it was absolutely extraordinary event last year and for me you know if we never ever did it again that would be absolutely fine because it was immense it was just the best fun ever and i was running around like a lunatic trying to you know sort everything out and i was having a great time so yeah the guys that were, that were shooting and, and camping and stuff absolutely brilliant so 
from a logistical point, physically, yeah, it's really, really tough. I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. The challenge is how does this move on? Uh, I don't know. Maybe dialogue with the NFAS to try and get it as a as a recognised um, second style to to big game. Maybe that's a, a way to move it on. Um, I don't know. The clubs will definitely start. This, this will filter in because I know that uh, Brixham guys are doing something in March on the twenty sixth of March. Uh, but they're making compromises because they're shipping it under NFAS, so it'll be behind the peg with the normal uh, classes for those. Um, but the style of shoot that they're going to be laying will be a bow hunter challenge. Um, so the distances, the style of shot, et cetera, et cetera, that will all be bow hunter challenge, just with that small compromise. Um, and the more that happens, uh, the more people who do it, hopefully the more people who like it and enjoy it, and, and, and I think it will spread, and I think, you know, another two or three years, maybe the NFAS committee will, uh, you know, make contact and uh, say, okay, how do we, how do we establish this, you know, as, a, as, a, as an alternative, as a, as a complementary style of, of shoot. Well, they do have different rounds in the uh, NFAS rules. In the yeah. back of the book, there's different rounds. It's just that the big game one is the one that everybody knows and is um, most popular. When was the last time you did a woodsman or a forest? Oh, or a Swedish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've only ever shot a forest. Uh, I've shot under different organisations and under different banners and different insurance, yeah, yeah. a few different styles of rounds and i actually quite like the way you, you're talking earlier about the kill shots yes the very focus on that and it sort of brings back to what my old coach always used to say is like aim small and miss small yeah, yeah. and then the importance of and this is one of the reasons i always wanted binoculars was the importance of being able to pick that tiny spot to aim for it because even if you don't hit that tiny spot chances are your arrow is not going to be that far from it unless you've been a complete numpty which i have been known to do on at times and wonder why my arrow is suddenly arcing beautifully over the top of the animal but it is that aspect of it's offering people something that's a little bit different ben do you think there's any challenges that you can think of that because you're doing the admin and then the logistics behind aren't you i think if you're running it at the scale we're running it it becomes phil and i's second job from about well it never stops for phil because everyone wants to contact uh phil um, <laughs> luckily they give me five months off um but it is it is quite all consuming um i think if you and that's a good thing right so um we had people from five different nations last year um and i think we've got somewhere in the region of 30 people who pre-registered this year that didn't shoot at all last year and have never shot a cent actually um so you know realistically we're going to be overbooked this year um which is a nice problem to have um i think a lot of the admin is very easy um the um the second day tends to make things quite lively uh, towards the end making sure you get the right people in the right places um i think if if clubs if clubs are looking to do something similar on this scale um i mean it is probably 50 people so maybe 33 percent more than the biggest shoot i've been to so i've not been to a champs or a 3ds he says ashamedly uh, as a coach, um, but um, you know, if I think Company of Sixty, they did a a four course with a with um, one course set up in a style, and there were probably seventy archers there, something like that. So that's the normal size of people, and actually the catering is is unbelievably immense. So we're really lucky that that Phil's wife Nikki, um, my wife Claire, and a few other um, but we've got 
your daughter at all. Um, other bewildered fools that they rein in, but you know, you're effectively having to allow for four or five meals catered for people. Um, so that is a lot of burgers, a lot of bacon, and a lot of gas. I'm glad you clarified the gas for the barbecue then, because I was just yeah, wondering yeah. where. You... <laughs> Have you ever done Druid's two-day shoot? They 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 do a really good two-day shoot, and that's a very much a. Um, it's my favourite two-day of the ones I've done, because it's very much a social atmosphere as well. You know, big marquee potentially large communal meals if you book in for their meals for their breakfast or the evening meals they'll have live music they've probably got um, a couple of kegs on from local um, brewers and ciders and uh, it's it's a really sociable thing and it's a good two-day shoot and they make it and because you're all kind of in a, the the campsite together wherever you there's a social aspect to it as well, which I think is really important. Yeah. And with ours being Henry's, um, you know, the Bodnik Bay Hunter Challenge, Henry has some um, uh, very clear views on how he wants the event to be and, yeah, and the community and the friendship and the getting together um, and the sort of event style, you know, um, is very important. Um, so, you know, we, we do have evening events. There was a special challenge last year. I'm sure there will be this year. Um, and, and people can, can walk away with some nice prizes, mm. even for not winning. Um, so, you know, that obviously attracts people as well and slightly different. And I think, you know, challenges going forward, I think around styles and that sort of stuff, I don't think anything's insurmountable. Um, and, I don't, uh, and I think, you know, We've mentioned MFAS a couple of times, that's because we're MFAS archers, but I think it would be the same if we were um, IFA or AGB, you know, it's, it's something new, it's something different. Um, the irony of all of this, of course, is there's pretty much only one insurance company that insures archery in the UK. Um, so, uh, you know, um, getting around that instance, and, and unfortunately that's the world we're in, right? We're in an insurance-led world. Well, we are, but I see, I would argue with that, it, you know, your insurance company doesn't tell you what car you're going to drive. You tell them what car you have, and they'll tell you the risk and the, and the the price accordingly. It's not the tail wagging the dog. Well, the, 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 <laughs> the third podcast of Rob's we could attend is the <laughs> safety rules versus shooting podcast. <laughs> no, not that one. No, please, Ben. No, no, we've had. <laughs> For those who are listening, Ben and I are both coaches, and we have both been coach trainers, and we have had a number of discussions about shooting rules versus safety rules and insurance and stuff so that's why we're grimacing at that one a bit aren't we <laughs> i think the one i took away because i didn't shoot the event because i don't get time and um actually i'm not sure i get around it in my current level of fitness um but i did do about six six targets with some some club mates um but what you could hear from quite a large site that obviously funnels down is mainly laughter and cheers. And I think that's what I took away from last year was um, people are enjoying it a lot more than most other competitions I've been to. So, you know, I have been to national events at AGB. They're not very excitable, laughy events on that. Because um, uh, they're quite serious ranking events. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> You know, this there was a lot of laughter and a lot and and almost without fail, um, people's response when they kind of come back through catering or come in at the end is you know sort of wow and you know that was great probably the best shooting I've had this year or ever and those sorts of things so um, you know and it's not just because we've got the same forty people from our club and the other thirty that we regularly drag in these are these are people in some cases that we know all but maybe have never met never shot with um so you know i think that's the difference is is mixing it up brings um a different level of enjoyment i think it's interesting now though because we've talked about like a, the idea of festivals of archery and it being a social event 
it can be very serious and in some ways i know personally that have seriousness got to me and i stopped having that kind of fun for it that love for it and i will freely put my hand up saying that i am probably a coach a course layer and then an archer and those are the things that i enjoy much i love the coaching aspect and getting somebody to to suddenly realize they can shoot a bow and i love setting a course that will offer a challenge to people not punish them for if they've missed a shot which i think sometimes there's almost that aspect of it where um it's it's archer versus course layer and the 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 kind of course layers they're rubbing their hands when the archer misses well actually i'd rather offer them the challenge and and them to suddenly go oh, why did i do that oh i misjudged it yeah or i didn't i didn't spend my time to 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 read the ground right um and then i'm probably the archer at the bottom of that or again the opportunity to shoot um but i do think people forget that enjoyment yeah it needs to be a mix doesn't it a balance yeah. uh, of enjoyment but also focus and concentration you know when it's right at the right time you set a target last year for the bow hunter which was two hours between split trees oh yeah very tight window and it's one of the one of the um, pegs I did shoot. Mm -hmm. um, and the usual sort of stuff, Rob, so there's some trees in the way, don't think about the trees, there's the owls. And great, I put two arrows in the owls, right? Nowhere near the kill. So that's fine, I wasn't scoring. But actually, just that thought of, I've got through the trees and I've hit the owls, <laughs> <laughs> even though that would have been minus or something so there is something there for everyone you know you, you don't have to be the guy rolling in with almost the thousands you know yeah. it, it can just be about little personal battles or shoots that you might not have taken and managed to pull off and i, and I think that's the difference often because it, it is a punishing round and if you are just outside the kill several times it can get it can get to your head i'm not going to say it doesn't um because it can be quite frustrating but I often say to people, they go, oh, I only got this, you know, I only scored this. I said, well, okay, go home, take your card, convert that to a big game round and see how well you did. Because I bet you're going to be really happy with that score. And it's just because it is an ethical hunt and it does have that minus factor to it uh, that, that uh, yeah, kind of plays on people's minds a bit. But um, actually, I mean, they look at it and go, actually, I shot really well. I shot really well. Just didn't get those kills. Do you think that would be less of a negative feel for them if there if it wasn't a penalty for the win, so that they would still get a positive, but they might get a positive two rather than a negative? Uh... Yeah, possibly, but it's it we're just conditioned. I think we're just conditioned to big game, and rewarding hmm. wounding an animal surely isn't the right thing to do, is it? The animal's going to go off and suffer, get an infection, take weeks to die, whatever. So that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. So why should we reward it with positive numbers? We have probably <laughs> oh, constant. That's twice a month on <laughs> our Facebook group, um, traditional archery Facebook yeah. groups. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, clearly our phone, phone animals don't <laughs> walk away and die for two weeks. But it is that sort of realistically just hitting it in the backside or just clipping the bottom of its leg above the hoop isn't a great shot is it um when you are a hulking great deer at 35 yards or whatever you know um and i think that's why people like 3ds isn't it is the fact they can get the lucky legs or stuff like that and yeah i've made a whole career on it <laughs> really it's it's a, a way of focusing your intention when you're shooting you go but you don't want that minus two on the saturday minus five you shout at minus five <laughs> you hear that you know that's that's not what you want it's to it's to encourage you to go for that clean kill ethical shot and that's what it does and it does help it does really because you don't want that minus two miss the animal or kill it all in the kill that's what you want all in the kill we could certainly um certainly cast down on the wear on the targets as well <laughs> <laughs>
Well, uh, we I was talking to uh, Zach, and he was saying the fact that uh, that's why he much prefers to have a a less quartered three D target because then the kills get blown out, but you can get a replacement insert, and he makes an effort of not uh, quartering his 3Ds simply because of the fact that it's too easy for when they do get an arrow going in a quartered and then you set the, the 3D up straight on, you're suddenly losing pieces of the phone. So, yeah, that's true. But, and that's, um, you know, I understand that and, and they are expensive things. Um, but that's part of the bow hunter challenge is the extreme accuracy. And yes, because all the targets get completely blown out, those squirrels and the rats, they get completely trashed. I mean, they're fine to fill up with CT1, other products are available, and uh, and shove out on your course uh, yeah, back at home for, for people just to blast away. But for the tournament, you, you just got to uh, accept that they're going to get hammered. And they're going to get hammered hard. Yeah, two arrows on the Saturday, one on the, on the Sunday, those kills are going to get hammered. Um, so the, the, the small and the medium small targets will get trashed that's just part of your expense that that's just it you know accept it buy some more crack on <laughs> and that's it it's a case of the logistics of ensuring that you've got all your 3ds and you've got enough because unfortunately those three 3ds are going up in price yeah i mean it's a double whammy at the moment isn't it it has to come through europe um and the materials are expensive um and they take a lot of storage yeah. yes yeah but it's still a really cheap day out mm. and really? i think people yeah. don't realize that do they 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 get they're quite surprised when they come to an nfas shoot or your shoot you know it's, it's not as expensive as a, around a golf or yeah. clay pigeon shooting or something or legoland or... See, i think i think it could be more expensive i think clubs could charge mm. more for shoots i mean i think we're charging 30 pounds this year for an adult for the two days yeah so you know 30 pounds for the full night um last time i played golf which was a long time ago it used to cost me that for well about eight hours the way i played but <laughs> so, um you know so it, it, it's i mean you know you go to a regular shoot and it's like eight quid and it's like actually i think we probably do undervalue some of the shoots yeah hmm. well speaking as a small club We've got only, I'm just trying to remember now, about 12 3Ds because we haven't been able to, you know, we've got about 24 members, I think, currently, and I think six of them are juniors. Mm. We are going, we, we're gradually trying to build about 3Ds. Uh, it, it's, it isn't that easy when you've got rental costs on on top of everything. And so... We'd love to be in this situation, we and we were lucky. We got a grant when we first started that would enable us to buy some three Ds. But as you said, it, it, prices are going up, and uh, it's it's not easy because we. I spoke to the committee about this style this style of shooter, and we worked out that we could probably do. And I think I spoke to you, Ben, about it about it all being three Ds. And uh, I think we sat down and we worked out we could do a version of it but we'd only be able to have like 12 of our 3ds out and then do is kind of a twice round with different sets of packs and stuff like that for a day a, as an half, option you could do two and a half d's you know so yeah we're, we're lucky at our club from two two perspectives the first is that our members are brought into the vision um and um live with the concept that we have a number of 3ds that they don't get to shoot all year yeah. um but if they enter the, the challenge they can uh, i think the other advantage um is we've got phil who is like amazingly talented at making ether phone targets um so um you know giraffes swinging orangutans um bears so you know i think you know in our current woods um, we have some three Ds, but we have an awful lot of fill-made two and a half Ds, effectively. So um, yeah, but yeah, I mean for for clubs, if you wanted to get out forty three Ds these days, what you look at twelve hundred pounds, maybe twelve thousand. No, twelve thousand. 
It's about 300 quid times 40, whatever that is. Well, that's well, yeah, for, de for decent ones, yeah. You can get cheaper ones, but then you've got the aspect of yeah, group one, group twos, maybe group threes are okay, but I, I, I don't see the point of small 3Ds. I just, they just get shut out way too quickly. Um, so the, the bigger ones, yes. The group ones, the group twos, they they work well. You can put them at a, a challenge. And sometimes putting a big 3D close in really plays with people's heads. Um, they just don't like it. They don't like it at all. Or very small buffaloes along that way. Well, I think that covers everything I wanted to to kind of ask you guys. And it's really obvious how enthusiastic you are about this. And hopefully, it does kind of snowball, as you said. You know, more clubs do start thinking about it and. NFAS may be a way of doing it, or maybe just for those clubs who are lucky enough to have their own insurance to be able to facilitate it. Would there be any top tips that you'd say to people if they were thinking about doing it? Uh, if they were thinking about putting a course on? Yeah. Uh, laying a course? Yeah, yeah. come and see us. <laughs> come down and see us. Come and shoot it. Come and shoot the Henry's. Experience it. And... Uh, um, that's that's got to be the best way to just physically experience it and understand how the shots are placed. It's really important to stand at the peg uh, and, and to peer down at the animal and uh, and understand the concept and the theory about why it's set like that. That's really really important. Really really, it's a great experience as a course layer to to work with Henry Lane. The course um, I really enjoyed those uh, couple of days. Um, and learned a lot. I thought I knew quite a bit. Rubbish. Um, it's really, yeah, it's interesting to to just witness that and understand the process. It's different. It is really different. It's not the same. You know, the guys in Europe, you know, shooting in, in, in Germany, in Austria, in Switzerland, and stuff, they do things differently. Like they, of course, they would. Um, and it's really refreshing to see it. Get out to southern Germany. Get out to Vaidring in Austria. Uh, or, you know, Switzerland, Buff Lake Lucerne, wherever it is, go out and, and try some of this, uh, some of their parkours, they call them. They're there, and you can just pay and play, uh, you know, 12, 13 euros, off you go. Um, and it's just an extraordinary, um, an amazing experience. It's just a beautiful place to, to go and, and, and practice trade archery. And, yeah, it's good. If you search for the Bodnik Bow Hunter Challenge UK, um, not our videos, but there's a, a number of people who are enthusiastic videographers mm. um, who come to the shoot. So there's um, there's there's a few, three or four quite long form videos out there. And I think to echo what Phil says, I think anyone that's run one or is running one so far has shot with us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think probably living it is the best experience to, to land it on because you need to understand the difference. Cool. Well, uh, thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate your time. And uh, I really wish you the very best of luck for the uh, future.